If you're thinking, God, these guys hardly ever make episodes anymore, you'd be mistaken. At patreon.com slash youhatemovies, there are still multiple episodes of You Hate Movies delivered monthly, arguing about the latest movies, ranking directors and franchises, interacting with fan mail, and getting bent out of shape about the latest in movie news. For the price of a monthly cup of coffee, you can listen in and join the arguing. Patreon.com slash youhatemovies. Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Well, all of us saw Oppenheimer, but only one of us saw Barbie. But that won't stop us from arguing about both. If you're listening to this on the mainstream You Hate Movies channel, Tyler has uh, something he wants to say to you. I, I just assumed that you wanted to greet everyone and... I don't did know. I? Yeah. Oh well, no, I assumed. I assumed that you. Yeah. Did. No, I, I. I always have my signature greeting that I do every episode. Yeah. Bonjourno or something like that. Isn't that what you? That's do? exactly it. Yeah. I'm gonna actually open the podcast app and see when the last mainstream you hate movies episode was. It was Rocky. Best of Rock back in March for the to celebrate the release of Creed Three. I still haven't exciting. seen it. <laughs> Wow. So you won't find Tyler on that episode. No. It's it's on Prime now. You can just watch it. I, I know. Okay. Oh, wow. I just, you know, haven't. <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. the rest of that sentence. Yeah. I just haven't. Yeah, that's the explanation. But, but tell us why. Do you not want to watch it? Uh, I'm full of indifference. Mm. He's, He's full of it. Just He's full of it, all right. All the way up, Wait, all the, the way up with are we talking about Creed? Yes, three. we're talking about Creed 3. Okay. I I barely watched the first two creeds. You didn't barely watch what them. Does that you can mean only watch. Like you can only watch them or not watch them. What are you talking yeah. about? The the whole boxing genre doesn't do a lot for me. I'm a big fan of Cinderella Man. <laughs> that's a boxing that's movie. Boxing. I know that's that's like the most excitement. You're that's gonna, like great depression boxing though. Yeah. You need yeah, yours to be period pieces. I need different them to era. Be period pieces. I yeah, want yeah. the old gloves and the and the big shorts. Yeah. You want to see some guys in catcher's mitts in the bottom of a bar. Hey, what are you doing? I can't really remember what happens in Cinderella Man. I remember liking it too, actually. It's good. It's very it good. Yeah, it's that's very Russell Crowe. That's Russell Crowe in Cinderella Man. Uh-huh. It's classic. That's quintessential Crowe right there. Mm-hmm. Quintessential. Well, if you're listening to this on the mainstream episode, fresh off the heels of our March episode of Best of Rocky slash Creed, then maybe you don't know that there's actually multiple You Hate Movies episodes uh, every single month. Mm-hmm. There are, yeah. Yeah. I was expecting Tyler. I looked at Tyler here in the studio so that he could demonstrate some level of enthusiasm for yeah, the revelation. There's multiple, multiple episodes you might be missing each month. Every single month you're missing. And like lately, they haven't even been late. That's true. <laughs> That's true. No, we're, <laughs> at, we're actually uh, very timely with our patreon episodes this is an episode that's on in theory both the patreon and mainstream channels mm-hmm. and, and what's it, exciting about patreon is that the mailbag is actually really thriving yeah, yeah the mailbag time so ordinarily we do two episodes a month on patreon one of which we open up the uh, you hate mail and and read comments and feedback across not not just social media but from our um, patreon subscribers so much so that we've developed multiple running gags with our listeners inside jokes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hashtag Hamilton. 
Yeah, there's a whole thing with Hamilton. I don't want to get into it tonight because <laughs> that's, that's careful with that. Very careful. Stephanie with that. is going to get upset with us. <laughs> <She's> so <laughs> upset. <laughs> careful, guys. She's that's coming. the kind of crap you're missing. So ordinarily, one of those episodes, uh, we also round up the movies we've been watching every month. But this month, in particular, the month of July, was a sh- bizarre cinematic event uh, that the internet decided to call Barbenheimer. You're aware of this, Tyler. You've been on the internet. I am on the internet, and I'm aware of Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer is actually canceled, though, I found out today. It's not stopping me from doing this episode. Well, it's canceled about it. I guess that the long and short of it is that people on the internet thought it would be funny to continue to overlap the imagery from uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, you know, to get laughs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make a meme. And make memes. And then eventually, I guess Warner Brothers was promoting Oppenheimer this way or just kind of tapping into the gag of it all. And there's like uh, photoshopped images of Barbie, you know, with her arm around Oppenheimer with like a mushroom cloud in the background. And then Warner Brothers Japan steps in. Ooh. <laughs> you can see where this is going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's not really funny, guys. Is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, can, can we pump the brakes on the whole Barbenheimer thing? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Barbenheimer became a thing and stirred up a lot of box office sales and now a little bit of um, uh, out- outrage is too strong a word, but some, some hurt, controversy, some controversy it, uh, amongst Shouldn't there just be controversy around the movie, though. It's like that's not uh, these memes aren't making the movie exist. The movie exists. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's just it's taking it too lightly. Is that yeah, what I think that it's they, taking the heavy I think once very Warner lightly, Brothers yeah. I see. kind of sh- began to share images, I don't think that they were making them, but they were sharing images from the Internet. You know, mm. it's somebody's job to be on Warner Brothers Twitter. Or yep, and, that's a job. And go, yeah, see Barbie or see Oppenheimer this weekend and, and retweet some stupid picture that somebody made of a meme. But maybe it's not their job anymore. The only memes I've seen are it's just like a side by side picture of Barbie and a picture of Oppenheimer. And, you know, on one side it says, you know, like when I ask for my vegan o latte and then the Oppenheimer side says and they give me milk. That's that's the only memes I've seen. Right. So uh, help me understand this joke. So it's like something like light and Good and, and then nice. It gets, then it gets dark. Oh, then it gets I like, see. Yeah. It's like something it did, wrong. It didn't go the the orderer's way. Because yeah. all the thumbnails of him are very intense looking. Like he's yeah. struggling. Compared to her like little face, you know. Her little face. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. Like she's a Dick Tracy villain. Little face. Yeah, little face was there. <coughs> well, the funny thing about Barbenheimer is that everyone in the room went and saw Oppenheimer. And Patrick's on the show. I'm here. You saw Oppenheimer. I saw Oppenheimer. Tyler's on the show. Mm-hmm. Saw Oppenheimer. Yeah. Abby, this is going to shock our listeners who are familiar with uh, Abby's preferences. She saw three-hour Oppenheimer in a movie theater. I did. I was shocked to see her walk in the theater. I didn't think she would I was do it. too. <laughs> <laughs> you saw yourself walk in the movie theater? Yep. Bird's eye view. Out-of-body experience. Yeah. Uh, but true to form, none of the men present in the room have seen the motion picture called Barbie. I wanted to, I just haven't yet. Yeah, um, yeah, me too. But you know, oh, I didn't want to, and so I didn't. <laughs> well, there you go. But Abby did. She I wanted did. to and saw it. I wanted to, and I saw it, and I liked it. So we're going to in our monthly recon episode review Oppenheimer, 
and then argue with Abby's opinion about Barbie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, How come you hate men, Abby? Yeah. How come I hate men? Yeah. That's the know. only explanation for going to see this Barbie movie. Mm-hmm. That's what the media is telling why me. Are you, why are you joining the woke propaganda machine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't see Tyler's mannerisms, but they're really funny. <laughs> I don't know. So convincing. Just wait till you see it. You'll turn on yourself. No. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm scared to see it. Now. Oh, he'll become a self-hating man. Yeah. I can't handle, the, handle these revelations. It's the power of Greta Gerwig. <laughs> well, before we get to Barbie, though, let's start with the movie we we all did see. Uh, this is a movie, I don't know if you guys know this, but directed by acclaimed d- director Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Written for the screen and directed by Christopher Nolan. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize this, but Christopher Nolan uh, doesn't write a lot of his own movies. or He certainly doesn't write his own screenplays. He has been lately. Like. He's been helping. He usually, he usually has like Interstellar. Interstellar is written and directed credit at the end. Mm-hmm. Isn't Dunkirk written and directed credit? Oh, oh man, if if so, that's this is a bad track record. I'm going to look at it. Uh, but you know, some of his, like The Dark Knight, for example, isn't he Tenet? Didn't, he didn't write same? The Dark Knight. Well, no, not those ones. But isn't Tenet written and directed? Tenet does seem like a. It says written by, movie. but I gotta, I gotta consult these. I thought his brother helped write a lot. We gotta, we gotta scroll stuff. through all the IMDb now. Yes, his brother does help write a prepared. lot. His brother does help. He has a story credit on Man of Steel. How do you feel about that? That's great. I love Man of Steel. Yeah, there was a. Uh, there seems to be just perpetual social media controversy about the DC universe, especially the Snyder universe. And all these people that were hating on a certain aspect of Man of Steel recently, the pushback was, yeah, but you know, Nolan wrote that, right? And everyone went, oh. Like they right. weren't allowed to hate <laughs> it. They weren't allowed to hate it. Anymore. Oh, we got to rethink this. We got to rethink this. So smart. Okay, yeah, he's the sole writer on um, Dunkirk and Tenet. Uh, and it looks like he, uh, Jonathan Nolan co-wrote Interstellar. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, before then, which we still will count as a Nolan print written project. Oh, he wrote, he wrote, uh, inception. People love Inception. Yeah. He wrote inception. They like the crap out of that. But so he's written a lot of his movies. He has. Yeah. I guess that maybe what was sticking out in my mind was the fact that he often has co-writer or has had co-writers on some of his biggest hits. Um, Which is fine, co-writer's fine, but you could st- he still deserves some sort of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Credit. I just I just think it's noteworthy that uh, when he is the kind of sole engine or the auteur behind the whole movie, mm-hmm. I don't think you can really call it an auteur project if somebody else is right co-writing the thing. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, there might have been three different writers on the Dark Knight, things like that. Yeah, but it's his other films that you tend to be well. I guess it depends on who you're talking to. His Batman films are very well received and acclaimed. A lot of lot of uh, very dedicated fans to those films. But it's the other ones that tend to create the reputation for him. I would argue as unique, independent, pseudo independent. Even though he's a giant name, independent films where you're watching them and like, oh yeah, this is a really unique idea. And the dialogue works so well. And you think, man, this man wrote this stuff. He's just, he seems to know what he's doing in every level of filmmaking. And that's, I think, the argument for why he's become such a household name. Well, he does until he doesn't. Right. This room certainly has mixed feelings about Nolan. But in general terms, 
Nolan is like yes, a, he's definitely he's, held he's the to next, be like the next a Scorsese. Scorsese. Yeah. yeah, and he he and I guess arguably Tarantino, who's about to retire, and um, probably Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve yeah. are are like our the three best current living. Not elderly, yeah, like Spielberg type, yeah, type big, big. They make big movies, not um, because there's lots of acclaimed indie directors with really novel ideas, and but they're making the kinds of movies that are never going to be gigantic mm-hmm. box office events. They make movies that are probably going to come out on a streaming service or right. an A24 movie like Ari Aster or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson's and Yeah, even yeah. even someone like a Paul Thomas Anderson. I think Anderson. he's on the, he should he probably deserves credit alongside them. But he just not he, he doesn't make big box office right. No, but he's a beloved act. He's a beloved director making quality films. Until he isn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. He he's also fighting, has He's mixed. fighting the fight to keep he's making mixed. film. Yeah. But so it's interesting to me that Nolan is still has this acclaim because his movies are big for sure, but some of them are really hard to watch and follow. But like still like Tenant, like and Tenet, Oppenheimer. Yeah. And Oppenheimer and Interstellar. Interstellar. These things are really, they're, Interstellar's, you can't understand what people are saying. Sometimes. Interstellar is a lot more accessible, but I understand that the high science physics Right, it goes it. in such strange places. The the fact that it did so well and he kept going past it seems, mm-hmm. you know, unbelievable at times. Well, yeah. ordinarily, someone if you thought of or compared to somebody like Nicholas Winding Reffin, the Winden. guy, Winden Reffin, yeah, who did uh, Drive, Only Drive, God Forgives, yeah, a super stylized filmmaker that you could probably compare to like sensibilities of a Stanley Kubrick or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but I would I would say that Nicholas Winden Reffin is closer to like Tarantino or even a Wes Anderson where you watch it and you know who you're watching. Yes, um, the the rest Nolan, uh, who did we say Venue and even Paul Thomas Anderson feel a little they transcend their own styles in some ways. Well, yeah. And that's the, the thing that they have that somebody like a Refn doesn't have. They both have the auteur sensibility that like, Oh, it has an author. I can see the author, mm-hmm. a style. It, it's like cinema, you know, I hate to use the pretentious word, but it, it really qualifies like, man, this is like, these are made to be movies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what somebody like Nolan and I would argue probably Villeneuve has certainly Tarantino has that a lot of these other filmmakers don't have is that they make excess, even when their movies are super weird, they're accessible and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jury is out on interstellar. Obviously it's a divisive movie and even in this room, it's divisive, mm-hmm. but it's not we boring. Need, we need Mike Jensen in the room yeah. to balance it out. Super mm-hmm. entertaining. And you go and see, and you, you come to expect that there's going to be a certain level of like a spectacle, yeah, that's what Interstellar definitely brings is spe- spectacle. It's it's, I think that it it's undercredited for the amount of heart and spectacle that it balances really well. So that's a good point. Nolan always has a huge spectacle. Like when uh, the Hateful Eight came out, you know, they were playing at the cool theaters with the special print of the film and everything. You know. Yeah, that was the Tarantino Hateful Eight Roadshow. Right, in seventy millimeter. It's super cool. We all went to go see the in the cool way to see it. Yeah, but it's not the same spectacle you're just watching it for the quality of the film or to see tarantino's uh, thing but, well tarantino is a style he has a certain stylized spectacle 
Yeah, yeah, but the guy, movie. the guys at the mall. But the scale isn't go there. to see Nolan movies. The guys yeah. at the mall don't go see Tarantino. The scale movies. isn't there with Tarantino as opposed to Nolan. No, right. what Tarantino does that these uh, other filmmakers do not do is he consistently delivers spectacle via violence. Yes. Yeah, so it's the tension. It's the di- the tension that builds in the dialogue and then the the inevitable yes, violence. All yeah. of them have great writing. All of them can write dialogue. Tarantino better than the other <laughs> trifecta than that any of them, right? or or probably just about anybody. Uh, Tarant, I mean, uh, Nolan still has moments where he writes pretty laughable dialogue from time to time. Yeah, yeah. He does. Uh, and Denis, he's like the broodiest of of everybody. Super moody, super slow. I mean, he borders on Nicholas Winden Refn yeah. in a movie like Dune or Blade Runner. Sicario, especially yeah, yeah, pushing the how much the audience can handle long tracking shots and droning <laughs> sounds, and, yeah. but they're huge because they give him a ton of m- money to make these movies, so he can do yeah. these big visual presentations. Tarantino, even Hateful Eight, which is his most bottled up movie, you know, it's like it's like a stage play. Yeah, it started as a play and everything. By the third act, there's blood just going. Everywhere. It's Evil Dead level of yes, Evil yeah. Dead level blood. Yeah, um, and you usually even in something like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where until the end of the third act, you're thinking, "Man, this doesn't feel quite like a Tarantino movie." I wonder what it is. Oh, there it mm-hmm. is, and then blood just starts gore and viscera mm-hmm. start exploding out of every corner of every frame. Yeah, you're right, burned to death in a swimming pool. So, yeah, and then yeah. that's what he that's what he does, and it's thrilling, and he shoots it all. You know. Nolan, I think, does genre movies. That's his sweet spot to me because Tenet, even though Tenet is really hard to follow, no one agrees exactly what happens or what it's about. And people like to nitpick a movie like Inception about, oh, what what does this mean? And this is kind of dumb. And, uh, and and how do you interpret the ending? Uh, but I he, saw a cool quote from Nolan about the ending. Actually, yeah, he I finally, did as well. Yeah, he finally spoke up more about it. Yeah, about Inception or Tenet? About Inception. Inception. Yeah, it's yeah. actually I liked it a lot. His quote, his, because it, it's kind of a non-answer. It's it is and it isn't because the this is we're getting to spoilers now. If you haven't seen Inception, but the question is he's he's is he still in a dream or not? Because he's you know he spins his top and you never see it fall. But the question you're, you're meant to believe is can you figure out whether or not it will? Whether or not he is in a dream? Nolan came out and finally said. Well, it doesn't matter the main character anymore. He's chosen to not care anymore. Yeah, to him, it's the most important. important part of the shot is not that the top continues to spin, but it's that DiCaprio's character gets up and leaves. And it goes to see his kids. And doesn't wait for it to yeah. to stay erect He goes fall. to see his kids because he doesn't care anymore yeah. if he's in a dream or not. He wants to just be with his kids, which yeah. is a third Yeah, his option. character has like, oh, been, his nice. arc has been yeah. resolved, yeah. yeah. But that's, but you know, like when he does these genre movies, to me... Even kind of the like low sci-fi of the prestige mm-hmm. with Bowie and his Tesla that. and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are when he's at his most entertaining to me. And then you arrive at Oppenheimer, which is a historical drama, which ordinarily just hearing those which two words together adapted ma- make me from a book. So he yeah, it's based on a book called American Prometheus, which is a biography of Oppenheimer mm-hmm. with some details contested by his estate. Yeah, but interestingly, it was given to him by Robert Pattinson at the end of Tenet, and then he loved it. Like, Nolan just started reading it because Pattinson gave it to him, and then he just said, 
It just he loved it so much he decided to make a movie out of it. Oh wow! Yeah. For example, the scene with the poisoned apple apparently is in the American Prometheus book, but his family, Oppenheimer's family, argued that there's no evidence that that ever happened. That it's based on hearsay. Yeah. Uh, but Nolan included it because it's cool in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he. Right, and it's a character development point. Yeah, sure. it's it's a it's a really fascinating original sin type moment for yeah it's super visual and the yeah. apples all green very and symbolism very symbolic <laughs> very, very symbolism very symbolism how symbolism <laughs> much symbol much symbolic <laughs> <laughs> so patrick what's your uh tweetable positive negative matrix review of christopher nolan's oppenheimer mm. That was Patrick opening his review right there. Dang. Hey, open a can of review on this. <laughs> My can is positive. I liked it. Um, I know that there's going to be division in the room, but uh, I, I did not think it was boring, and uh, I thought it was pretty enthralling, and I was really into it. Where did you see it? I saw it on an IMAX screen out on a Regal. Was it a proper IMAX? It's not it's a close, proper IMAX. It's, close it's pretty close. Have. Yeah. It doesn't. I don't think the screen's technically big enough to be proper IMAX. It's the dimensions of an IMAX screen, yeah, so but you get it's to see not the whole the thing. But it's nice and loud because the the sounds and all were super cool. So there were times where you felt like you're just rattling out of mm-hmm. your skull. Um, the problems I know that I've already talked to these two about, or some of you guys about, I don't disagree with. They just didn't bother me as much. I felt like it was too long, and they could have lifted the whole uh, court stuff out. You know. Robert Downey Jr. was great. I love seeing him in it. I didn't know he was going to be in that thing, but his whole thing could have been gone and the movie would have been tighter. Um, that's my thought. Thumbs up. Tyler, what did you think about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer? I liked it a lot. I have more praise for it than I do criticism. I think that it makes sense. You could lift out the third act but I don't think it'd be as good or interesting. Um, Ooh. A lot of, I, I could see the theater I was in squirming to some degree in, during the, the length of the third act because everyone thought the climax of the film would be the explosion. But I appreciated that the scale was much wider than just the explosion. It had a lot more to do with Oppenheimer's life and successes and pains, which I appreciated. And I didn't think the length was that long. It was long, but by the time it ended, I went, oh, yeah, that didn't feel long. I was still in. But I feel like the third act does catch you by surprise to some degree how long it is. But I really liked it. I think that uh, the buildup and development of the character and then the third act, you know, conflict was all worked really well, especially in that final scene and how Nolan chose to end it was really profound and haunting and beautiful. Yeah, the ending was great Yeah, when it finally ended. But I think you needed the third act for that to land as well as it did. Maybe. Tyler has no issues with the runtime. Enter Burrs. (laughs) You know what's funny is I can't think of how it ended. Can't think of like the last few scenes. He, it ends with his conversation with Einstein next to the pond. Oh, and you are hearing what he said earlier. Right, because it's RDJ's distance trying to figure out what they said, and he thought they were talking about him. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was forgettable. Um, oh, I mean, <laughs> that's obviously. Like, that's like the most haunting part of the film yeah. is what's said next to that pond. Yeah. It was all right. Jeez, wow. Um, I thought it was a good movie. I thought the acting was incredible, specifically Killian. I, Cillian. I hear it is pronounced Killian. No, not in America. Oh, you have to be British to say that? You have to be I just saw... Um, or do you have to be a butthole? <laughs> yeah. I just saw the director was calling him that. He is British and, and maybe a butthole. We don't know. He doesn't seem like one. Yeah, kind of seems, seems like a butthole. Nice. Could, he could be. Might be. It's hard to tell. Anyway. I don't know. I've always said Cillian, but I don't know. What'd you think of the darn movie? Oh, I, I'm saying I thought he was great. Um, shot great. All of that. I thought it was way too long. Like definitely all of the political courtroom drama could have been lifted out. No. 100%. No. Not 100%. At least... At least be 50% about it. It doesn't even really have to do with him. Yes, it does. It's about his legacy and his life. The man was acclaimed world world over and then all of a sudden shamed world over. Yeah, but... Until he was vindicated later in life. I guess that's true. In this movie. Yeah. Um, Well, no, in the court proceedings where they were trying to... uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's getting re-vindicated. Now, this movie coming out. <laughs> no, now his legacy is even more complicated. Do we love him or hate him? That's true. Um, I don't. I probably wouldn't ever watch it again. And the reason I went to the theater is because I figured if I was going to watch it, it would have to be in the theater. Sure. And I'm glad I watched it. Mm-hmm. And it was sounded great. It looked great. You did IMAX too. Yeah, I did. But it was uncomfortably long for me. I would say that the blow up happened an hour and a half in that was like two hours two hours yeah i'm gonna disagree with how i felt third act does drag that's not her truth third act because you don't know it's coming the third act feels like the ending of the lord of the rings where it's just here's seven different endings (laughs) you're just desperate for it to be over in my mind looking back it was just people in rooms talking (laughs) That's the entire movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or and they're out in the field talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And couple it was scenes on a horse. Not particularly <laughs> interesting. So it'd be like, you know. But it was critical. It was all critical. I don't even know and what you cut. I also feel like, why does he get all the acclaim for doing this thing when he he was basically a manager, but he didn't do anything? At least the movie kind of portrays the, it. Yeah, like the that. executive director of yeah. the project. He didn't actually do anything or like figure anything out but he would like he, well, he brought, basically got the people he together. was the one that brought quantum physics to the u.s and so he was the one that was had enough knowledge to bring all the people together yeah but he shouldn't have been getting credit for all the things that he did he was like he learned from heisenberg he's like, he's like tom hanks in that thing you do right you know, he just got the band together he's, producer. he's not in the, he's not in yeah. the band yeah. Yeah. yeah but he's taken yeah and he's taken all the ideas that people are putting out and navigating them into the right direction to get he put the marbles in the jars. Yeah, that's true. Mm. He did a lot of like... Uranium or plutonium or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're in a good direction. Do that. There was uh-huh. a lot of that. Somebody's got to be the big boss, man. Yeah, Old but he woman. was great. I thought he was a show stealer. You mean Murphy, not Oppenheimer? Yeah, and I thought that um, Jean Tatlock or whatever her name was could have been lifted out too. 
spy forgettable <laughs> other than the reason it's rated r oh you're talking about uh what's her name people love her oh florence florence yeah. she could have been gone wasn't uh, her name yeah Jean? that is my one criticism of the film my maybe my biggest maybe not one but biggest criticism of the film is the way that nolan handled all the sex scenes uh, it didn't feel necessary like, it, them having that initial sexual encounter was fine. Like it worked fine. Like it worked. Reviewing their sex life. It worked fine. Them them meeting at a party and having you know sex. That's that's pretty standard as far as humans go. My <laughs> my understanding. Dang, Tyler's revealing the, uh, a lot about his life the, right now. The, her her he can't dig himself out. Her unmounting him to go find a book for him to read while and they then continued. pointing at it. Yeah, it was and that was the famous line that he was to me, later. and you all so complain about hammy. that no, that, yeah. was that one movie of them being like what is it another one by the dust or something that oh, the scene in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. that, this was, yeah. that, that was comparable that. to the this writing of another one yeah that, that yes, felt a little weak I'm more bothered by the sex scenes that he introduced to like the the closed door hearing where I, I appreciated the thoughts where he's being interviewed to such a degree where they're dragging all of his skeletons out of the closet and it, it cuts to a reveal of him sitting shirtless at the table because he feels so exposed in front of them. Yeah. And then it cuts to Florence Pugh having sex with him in the same room. And I thought, this feels out well, of yeah, place. Yeah, but I get that, that one because of the only things I liked about the movie. It, then it I, exposed his current wife's thing right, as well. Yeah, yeah, it exposed all of his shame in front of them and in front of his wife. And she was angry at letting him be subject to that, which I can yeah. appreciate. But the visual element to it felt out of place. If he had more like surrealist or like inside the mind of someone in a, this this really stark visualization as if someone's in the room throughout the film more consistently, then it would have worked. But I actually the, agree 100%. That was the only time that yeah. he did that. It was... And okay. it felt no. out of place. Yeah, no, of there place. were three. There were three scenes, and they all ticked me off because they were the coolest parts in the movies. And he never committed to them. the The first was a kind of a motif in the first few minutes, where he seemed to be like hallucinating from lack of sleep and seeing like waves. Yeah, energy the waves coming together. Radiation waves. Yeah. yeah. And and all the abstract that was stuff. really early on in the movie. Yeah, so and he's I was throwing like, oh. glass at the corner and yeah. stuff. That was very cool. I thought, oh, this yeah. is going to have kind of like a, a strange, surreal angle to it. And then yeah. it went away. Well, the and most then, you get later of that abstract uh, imagery is like the flickering of the bomb as it's kind of developing later. Yeah, it's not like the light. Well, the scene, yeah. the best scene to me in the movie was when he gave his <clears throat> half hearted, uh, out of body speech to like rave applause and yeah. Yeah. the sound of like uh, feet thundering on the wooden uh, yeah to all the people that worked on the project balcony seats yeah and he was uh, the sound would be sucked out of the room and then he stepped into the corpse like the charred corpse mm -hmm. of a Japanese bombing victim uh, those were super powerful and really visually striking mm -hmm. but they felt like they were in the wrong movie because he yep. didn't commit to them. They were like no. three scenes in a three hour movie. The sec and then the sex scene was the other one where I was like, that's a great idea if you would have braided that throughout yeah. the whole movie. It needed a lot more of that. Yeah. yeah. And I think it would have helped visually sustain a lot of people that found the film boring. That sort of stuff would have helped significantly 
but there wasn't enough of it. That's yeah. a, it muddied the whole experience to me because there were some even subtle uh, creative decisions like the scene of the the military vehicles carrying the bomb away and the chains were kind of rhythmically clanking on the side of the Jeep. And yeah. then that clank of the chains continued on throughout the next scene of dialogue as if it was like this percussive like thing in the score that was ratcheting yeah, he up. he couldn't get out of his mind. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cool and it really works, but it's so minimal. That mm-hmm. kind of thing is so minimal in the movie that it's really easy to remember because there was like, well, there were those three things yeah. that happened. Um, so all that to say, uh, I didn't really care for Oppenheimer very much. I think that... No, your review was low. It was low, your yeah. Star, your star rating. Yeah, I gave it two and a half, I think. I think that, like Abby said, the performances, I think if anyone was like, oh, they acted bad, you'd be like, well, that's just not true. They Obviously, these people showed up to really act in me in the movie, and Nolan House knows how to get good performances out of his actors. Yeah, Visually, it was really breathtaking, the, the sound design and the... I, I won't go as far as to say that the score was amazing. Uh, it was It was not Hans. It was uh, Ludwig who worked on Tenet. The His guy, other guy, yeah. Yeah, they scored the Creed movie and Black Panther and um, famously the Mandalorian song. Anyway, oh, well. it, it was so busy. It felt like there was never a moment in the whole movie when big dramatic music wasn't playing over. I'm like, man, this guy clearly never got that memo about when silence works, use silence. When music works, use yeah. music. It was super ladled on. Maybe that's what Nolan wanted for the effect of the bomb explosion going silent. I mean, I'm sure that it was all on purpose. He seems to me like a guy who's in control of his vision and knows what he wants. Yeah. I felt like uh, I agree with Abby that it is the quintessential people talking in a room movie. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it was so convoluted with unnecessary threads, to my estimation as the viewer, that quite frankly, I mean, you know, I'm not uh, Einstein. (laughs) But I feel as if I can ordinarily follow even a complex movie decently well. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that several times I was going, who's that? We're oh, yeah. supposed to remember who that is? It's the names. Yeah. They, yeah. And they would so bring up names, names as if we had memorized them without showing the guy or anything. Yeah. If, it, if ever there was a movie that necessitated the thing we always complain about when they don't respect remember? our intelligence. Yeah, they, they flash back Just to a scene that happened. so many names. So many names. So many characters. And the significance of many of the characters was minimal at mm. at best right but it all hinged on and then they did this and then you're, you they tell you the name and you don't yeah, remember what yeah. happened I, I agree that that is the biggest issue probably for these films that are really complex storylines of people in rooms talking and they start using names and referencing places and like this this controversy like i don't i'm I yeah. agree. I'm not tracking on what that controversy and is. They, I mean, I doubt it. they relied on this, but since it's also historical, they might have considered maybe people would know more, but I certainly didn't. Um, maybe, but I, I think that it's a bold while on a first watching, it is frustrating and a bit annoying and probably even, you know, detaches you from the enjoyment of the film. But, and I've talked about this before on the podcast i'm a big become a big fan of spotlight the film oh my god and that's somehow see see, that's the same Mm -hmm. 
Spotlight rules. It's the same. It's the same phenomenon where you watch it the first time. You're like, yeah, I was tracking mostly, and then you rewatch it, and you're like, oh, I got it. They did put a lot of thought in. They don't give you any help to remember names, but when you rewatch it a second or third time, you start tracking more. I'm sure that and that's appreciate true. it a lot deeper. Uh, but that's a big ask. At it a, is at a big three ask. Three hour runtime and a movie that's mostly uh, almost entirely dialogue. That's yeah. a big ask. I've but had, but I but I really defend the film in that way that it the more it is rewatchable the more it does grow on you and you realize more and appreciate it more that's what makes a good movie become great in the long term yeah i mean i'm i'm an advocate Mm -hmm. of multiple viewings and i i didn't like abby said i did not regret seeing it like i but i think this is something the thing i always say on the podcast is that i can forgive the, the things I'm nitpicking to me, the unforgivable movie sin is being bored. And I was bored for several stretches of this movie and probably be, be because, uh, I was having a hard time tracking the significance of some of the events. Yeah. One of the big ones that stuck out to me was the, when Casey Affleck shows up his character, yeah, who's who you're led to believe is a big time general who's enforcing the security on the whole thing. The fact that he and Oppenheimer are even seeing each other face to face is a big deal. Oh, it's disastrous. But Um, the fact that they just started just rapid firing names and places and people and things at you through the length of that 10 minute or whatever it was sequence. It's like, Oh God, they lost me. I'm back. I think I'm back. (laughs) No, no, I'm out. Yeah. It it wasn't just names too. It was like controversies. Yeah. It had no significant bearing on the, on the movie. Like they, they debriefed it on a train. Well, it came back later in the third act, the significance. Well, see, that's when it really were just building the case to tell them how. Okay, fine. But here's another key example for me is that there's a scene or a seemingly throwaway scene, which I'm sure is intentional in which Oppenheimer's leaving, I think, a hotel, and uh, Rami Malek is like the wormy assistant to some other dude, comes up and has a conversation with Oppenheimer about some, I don't know, probably communist thing or something. Uh, So much is going on at this point in the movie that you're like, oh, I'm not really sure who that was, but I'm sure they'll explain it to me in a second. Yeah, but the (laughs) Rami Malek and the other dude he was with were both scientists from another scientific outpost that Oppenheimer was not allowed to go to because he didn't have the clearance. So he, the fact that they were even talking was controversial. Right. So then he goes on his merry way an hour and a half goes by or something like that. And then, uh, Robert Downey's character is in some kind of legal proceeding. Uh, the exact details of which are still a little strange because at some I point think it was ha- a confirmation to be at a judge. Okay. They were going through it was his like a hearing. Yeah, they were going to confirm him as a judge, and then I it didn't see. get confirmed. I see. At see, that's half- a big deal that they didn't I make didn't clear. Know. Yeah. I didn't know. No. At the halfway At one point, point, yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, I did this thing with Time Magazine. We're like, what? And well, then yeah. he just moves on. They, 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 it's, even I was trying to keep up with why is he sitting in a hearing. It was a confirmation hearing for him, for an appointment for him. I'm pretty sure it was judge. I might have even been Supreme Court judge. And they're sitting there thinking everybody gets confirmed, and then the big deal at the end is he didn't get confirmed. Right, because well, of Malik's testimony and surprise name drop, JFK didn't like what RDJ did to Oppie. See the names I'm dropping now. You can't. You keep <laughs> RDJ. <up>. Yeah. <laughs> RDJ. What was his name? <laughs> Strauss. Strauss. Yeah. Because yeah. I kept thinking, so, uh, did he do the Levi's? Strauss. <laughs> the Strauss guy at the beginning of these hearings, 
which are probably intentionally semi vague at the beginning because yeah. he wants to bring you into them over the course of the movie and then culminate in the third act. But at first it seems like it's not really going his way and he's having to defer to these lawyers, the, the young Han Solo and the other guy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we got it covered. And then all of a sudden they see this Time Magazine. Hey, what's up with this? And he's like, yeah, you didn't think I had You've a plan the whole time. And then you're like, wait, punk. So, but what did he do? And then now the lawyers are mad at him and now things are going his way. It was so unclear to me exactly what was happening. Then Rami Malek shows back. I'm like, okay, I do remember his face from earlier because he's got a weird face. You know, they kept doing the gag where he kept dropping his pencils and stuff. Yep. And it looks like he was supposed to be the comedic relief. There's (laughs) one scene where he dropped something and he slowly came back up into frame from the bottom. (laughs) Oh, should we be laughing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We laughed. He's got that kind of face where it looks like if you flattened your hand and hit him on the back of the head, his eyes would fall out. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> he's got like a Looney Tune. Yeah. yeah, like a uh-huh. Looney Tune. So he shows back up, and we're like, okay, I, I remember him being in the movie. I don't remember what he was. Right. And he's like, actually, I'm gonna say some things that aren't nice about this guy, and it totally changes everything. Yeah, he was a scientist from the scientific community speaking on behalf of the scientific community, exposing Strauss for what he did. It's yeah, but the way that unexpected. that came yeah. together as a big twist it was completely unsatisfying to me because I wasn't exactly sure where he'd come from, why he is test. They, cause they were saying he's going to give us a good testimony. It wasn't yep. clear why he had changed it, If that had anything to do with that earlier meeting or something else. And now he's talking about Kennedy. We're like, Kennedy hasn't been in this movie. Am I supposed to, because the net never ending avalanche of names would often make me feel as if, Oh crap. I don't remember who that is. I missed something. And I'm like, oh, should I remember Kennedy now? Because then they had that hilarious scene where um, Gary Oldman shows up to, you know, deliver an Oscar-worthy performance in, yeah, in four was minutes. Great. <laughs> that was hilarious. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, he just gets a. I, I like that these directors that are so beloved by actors can just get anyone to mm-hmm. essentially do a glorified cameo in their movie. Um, yeah, you're just waiting for the next one to pop up. Oh, there's Casey. There Affleck. were so. Oh, this might this. be the movie that had. The most I of any to, movie. I started, started to chuckle well, at him because I'm like, just, oh, who else? It's who not else? Just random <laughs> cameos. It's Oscar winners. Yeah. 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 Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Gary Oldman, tons of Oscar winners showing up to do the smallest parts. Yeah. yeah. One, one scene on one set. I didn't even know Matt Damon was in it. What? He's all through the trailer. Yeah, he's widely promoted. And the funny thing about that trailer now is that having seen it, the trailer it's almost as if they were like, I don't know, you know, they could have just gone the route of like the girl with the dragon tattoo trailer and just shown images and music, but they wanted to promote a conflict. Mm -hmm. So the trailer promotes the movie's conflict as that variable as to whether or not the detonation of the bomb would destroy the world. Right. It would ignite the atmosphere. Yeah. And they're like, what's going to happen when we pull this trigger? And Matt Damon going, you're telling me we could destroy the world. And it's like, oh, but not. Like this is a non-event in the movie. They talk it's about it twice, they and play it's a joke. That that is the final moment of the movie. It's relevant to the final moment. Touche. Yeah, that's true. That oh, we did do that. Yeah, figuratively speaking, as as a potential, as still a potential. As sad, saggy yeah. Einstein grumps away. It was uh, it was Teller. Was it Teller the hydrogen bomb guy in the film? I forget the guy's name. 
but that that other character in the room who kept pushing for hydrogen bombs, yeah. which mm-hmm. eventually became that was war. funny. They were like, "Then what do we use to detonate?" Oh, him? that was Miles Teller. Not a mom. No, it was yeah. just the guy's tale. name was. Oh, I see. I see. The guy Teller. with the thick lips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the and guy's the accent. <laughs> he looks like he's wearing eyeliner. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and they, they, they kept referencing him in the room because he would eventually go on to invent the hydrogen uh, bomb, which would be like ten times more powerful. Yeah. And I know that there's going to be arguments uh, on Patreon with our subscribers, and I'm sure that there's any number of arguments online that, oh, you know, these great filmmakers, they, you know, and and maybe rightfully accuse me and uh, of hypocrisy and saying like, oh, you guys always complain that you don't want the directors to treat you like idiots, but then the, they they give you a lot of, uh, they grant you a lot of respect as the viewer, and then you complain about that. But I think that it's possible that you can make a movie that doesn't resolve every single one of its mysteries or ladles on over explanation and exposition constantly throughout the movie uh, that leaves you kind of going, huh, I'm not sure what that means. Or wait, who was that that makes you want to watch it again and, and doesn't make you feel like. I don't know what the heck is going on and now I'm checked out because I don't really care about what's going on. Yeah. That's what Oppenheimer did. I think a different director would have done it uh, more like where they put like a title on the screen when it first shows their face and that would have helped. But that would have been so out of... That's a good point. Like a Michael Bay film where like here's the title of this character? No, no, no. Or even the locations like like Washington, uh, D.C. No, I'm thinking more like a Itanya uh, type where it would be like and the, you know to put like the <laughs> like it stamps you want, down. You want expositional titles to help you track where you. Yeah, are that would have helped in time and place. Yeah, Tanya was great. Yeah, and it's this is a humorless movie. On top of that, so there's not really there's anything some humor. Is there Rami Malek? He dropped a pen. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> and I agree with with Abby that oh, the Tatlock character. Yeah, I have a question about her. Okay. I'm um, sure we can resolve it. Did someone the flowers thing? Did someone kill her? Did someone come into her well, apartment that, and kill her? That was the that was the implied controversy of it. Was she? It, the history seems to to say she killed herself, but there was that flash of an arm holding her under the water. Yeah, that meant that's meant to make you think that oh maybe there's something they're not telling yeah. us. That's why I was wondering if like the government killed her. Well, I think that's the implication, right? Or were they, or is that another another surreal thing of like she felt like that was what was happening? Well, to her. Or he felt he killed her. Oppenheimer didn't believe that she would do that to herself. That's like part of his reaction. And then he thought that oh, I must have drove her to this. But then, in maybe in the back of his mind, he thought someone did it to her. Yeah. Okay. See, even the resolution of Oppenheimer's arc. Which is that? Oh, poor baby. He feels bad that he's in in some way. <laughs> Didn't Truman call him that? Get this crybaby out. Yeah, of here? exactly. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> agreed with Truman that it's like, oh, now he feels kind of bad that he. And the movie did consistently depict him as kind of blinded by hubris and 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 constantly trying to alleviate any responsibility by deferring it onto like, well, it's not our job to make the decisions about where the bombs go. But then the next scene, he's participating in conversations. In the military secrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that dude that was like, well, it's not bomb Kyoto because it has historical significance and because I like to go. And I spent my honeymoon there. (laughs) See, that's another, that's more comedy. (laughs) That was funny. And that did get a big laugh out of our audience Mm -hmm. a little later. Um, So those... Those bits and pieces that did depict Oppenheimer as at least complicated, if not sometimes villainous in a certain way. But then by the conclusion of the film, 
he's you know filled with regret which i'm sure is probably true or could be true at least um there's a strange scene where after these closed door hearings that the movie goes out of its way to stress again and again like this is not a legal proceeding it's just about whether or not you get clearance yeah the clearance well, is the, so important to him yeah well it's about it's about his security clearance which he spent so much time trying to earn in the first two acts of the film but it's you learn it's beyond that it's about his reputation and it's about his ability to work right yeah so that that's where that con or that tension is born right. from. and that's it's why like, his wife is so angry at him why are you yeah, enduring this she's just drunk falling over and being like yeah. angry yeah and he finishes these proceedings do this to you he lets himself be uh, a punching bag tarred and feathered she said yeah and then she, there's that scene where she's out on the lawn and she's like do you think that because you let them tar and feather you the world's gonna forgive you and he's like we'll see mm -hmm. and that was so confusing to me because i'm thinking why would what happens behind these closed doors and and ultimately resulting in him getting his clearance revoked have anything to do with what the world thinks about him is are we meant to understand that that was Oppenheimer's motivation that he wanted to vindicate himself well because he knew Christopher Nolan would put it in a movie which <laughs> well which is, I always forget which it is which is which the masochist and the sadist which one's the self-hatred self-masochist right it feels like that's the, his attempt here is to make himself suffer to the degree in which the public support of him and acclaim for him for creating these bombs would eventually fade in time as the public support of the bomb fades because he was so conflicted afterward and why he got called a crybaby and he was so outspoken against the creation of more bombs and eventually i think he knew that history would turn and be like oh yeah maybe that was extreme and I, he well, was trying to he was he's probably felt guilty for one and wanted himself to suffer for the guilt he had to pay his penance but then two eventually history would remember him differently because of it if you're right that's that's good i like that but that didn't seem to be what she was saying because she didn't say oh do you think that because you let them tar and feather you um the world will change its mind about the bomb you know what i mean mm -hmm. they said forgive you that was the way i read it, it was his it was his penance all right, i guess i'll guilt. take yours i like yours there we go. Now we all love it. Because he was so, it, that was his big thing. Yeah, one, of the reasons, <laughs> one of the reasons they denied his security clearance is because he was so vocally outspoken against the government development of further weapons. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it was clear that he was trying to do some level of damage control by yeah. curbing the, the United States, the American enthusiasm for a hydrogen yeah. bomb. But then all of the guilt he, he was clearly showing when they reviewed the, the footage of the post blast Japanese cities he couldn't look at the screen and then he struggled to even have a speech the best he could say is I wish we dropped it on the Nazis <laughs> like, yeah that, that seemed yeah. to be his motivation he wanted to take on the Nazis and then end up being used on the Japanese he seemed to have an immense remorse but even though they did depict several characters telling him ahead of time uh, a group large groups of characters saying like we shouldn't drop this on japan they're pretty much already defeated and the yeah. war is already over and but he's then like, the generals yeah, well. the generals convincing him otherwise yeah yeah right and when they started talking about it he was doing the thing of we have to get one before they get one that was yeah. with nazis that was with, with nazis germany. right yeah. so then and then no, but then russia too Escal yeah well it was we need to build the bomb before germany builds the bomb right because they can't have this power yeah that's so how he convinced the bernard mm -hmm. the yeah the, the head elf from the santa claus right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was we need to beat germany to this technology right and, and then, then it was we we've beaten germany 
do we have to use it on Japan? I guess we better keep developing right. it. Right, it seemed to like escalate past his control. The third, being used. the beyond that was, oh no, now the Russians are going to make it. Now, now everyone's going to make it, yeah. yeah. See, the kind of things where the movie would assign to the viewer a certain level of like, you'll figure it out, were the scenes where, oh, they split the atom, now all these physicists are in a room going, oh my God, and they're doing calculations, and they're like, what does this mean? And he's like, the whole world is thinking, all the, every physicist in the world is thinking the same thing right now. What's that? A bomb. Now, we, non-physicists, have no idea that that's like a, a necessary conclusion. But we get it. We get it. Yeah. It's like, that's fine. They And they don't have to explain to us why. It's like we, the viewer, understand like, well, they're physicists. And, mm. But when they're like, oh, remember when... Bobby McGee was out in Washington and he re- and he had a meeting with General So-and-so and they decided at that hearing that Clarence Thomas was guilty of uh, blah, blah, blah on this project. And Clarence like, Thomas is a real person. Is it? Well, I'm yeah. sure Bobby McGee is. He's, he's, a, <laughs> he's a sitting Supreme Court justice. <laughs> oh, wow. So it really comes Who back. Who's accused of sexual abuse and assault. Yeah, oh, wow. sounds right, too. Okay, anyway, well. it's interesting in this... I didn't, I didn't mean to shout him out. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting in this movie what you guys are just saying, that the parts about him using physicist talk to make the most complicated thing ever at the time, we as the audience follow pretty clearly... But when it comes to the courtroom drama, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> because they just set it up as, you know, A and B lead to C, and right? And you, the viewer, go, sure. I know. It's just interesting. Scientist Nolan is telling me that. Can do this in storytelling, but chose to make it complicated. Or yeah. like, I would honestly still forgive all of it if I had been enthralled start to finish. Like, to, to me, Tenet, I, I honestly can't remember the nitty-gritty details I, and I remember riding home laughing from the theater going like, what was this? And what was that? Like, yeah. and, I, and I thought some of that was deliberate and maybe some of it wasn't. I wasn't sure. But I was like revved up in the theater. It was super exciting and visually engaging yeah. and the sound and that great scene at the beginning when those guys with guns are descending on that like. Uh, a symphony or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That was you're like, oh shoot, yeah, we're, we're in it this now. Is real, this it. is real deal. So, I don't know. I'll still go to the movies and see what he makes next. Because I mean, we'll go opening night and see it in all the IMAX glory. He's one of our three filmmakers. But Tyler, if you had to, uh, you know, pick out a thin air without sitting down to make a list, if you're doing it. Um, just in the heat of the moment, what do you think your like kind of top tier two or three Nolan movies are and, and is Oppenheimer anywhere near those top three? Man, I, that's a tough that's a tough thing to answer. Nolan has had a unique career. I wouldn't put Batman anywhere near the top. I don't care. I think the rest <laughs> of them are great films. But he seems to have taken a turn from this like sci-fi fantasy fiction to period piece stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, Dunkirk in this. Yeah, two World War two World War two related. Yeah, but films in the middle, he had one Isn't of his Dunkirk most World crazy War, sci-fi. Is Dunkirk movies. World War One? Two. Two. It is two. Yeah. It's the very God, beginning. That was boring. Very beginning of World War Two. Men it's talking a, on it's a, a World War Two movie of that year. Zero Nazis. Uh, I. I would probably put Oppenheimer in the top three, and I, I don't know what they would be. It'd be Oppenheimer, Interstellar, and something else. I don't know. 
you don't have like an obvious my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is probably this no no I have to put wow. some thought into it no, you can't I'm asking That's you not, not to do it I'm asking yeah. you not to uh, put don't put into any it. thought into yeah, it yeah just say it. like probably yeah. right now gun to my head if I had to have one uh, criterion collection at my house of his Interstellar. movies Interstellar I'd say Interstellar Interst- That's your favorite I think Interstellar is his most rewatchable what I just your- I just rewatched Interstellar in 70 millimeter and really loved it I also watched Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter would you see Interstellar in thir- 70 millimeter the Hollywood theater the Hollywood theater oh so Abby, if if Interstellar is your favorite, do you have another couple that come to mind? And is Oppenheimer anywhere near the top? <laughs> no, three? definitely not. But I haven't seen Dunkirk, even though I'd like to. Um, I'd probably say Inception and Interstellar are like my top two. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to say Inception, but it's she strong. likes she likes his genre movies. Inception holds up still. Sci-fi. Interstellar holds up. I think I think Oppenheimer will hold up with multiple viewings. I mm-hmm. have I have zero interest in watching Tenet again. Really? Oh, I, I, I haven't watched it again, yeah. but I would watch it if somebody was like, "I've never seen it. Put it on." I'd be yeah. like, oh, "Give on. me five to ten years." I actually <laughs> uh, don't actively don't want to see Tenet. Really. That seems like a dramatic thing to say. Yeah. You're just trying to be a contrarian. Don't be so silly. Uh, Patrick, how would you answer that question? Well, in our our ranking of movies, my favorite movie of all time is The Dark Knight, so that's my easy one to put at the Mm -hmm. top. Mm -hmm. But I also, I don't remember, we did a Christopher Nolan thing at one point, I don't remember what I said, but I love The Prestige. I always see. I yeah. forgot. I always forget about that one. Mm-hmm. That one's really you good. Say, you've, and that's the second time you've said yeah. it in this episode. Even even when I was trying to review all of his titles in my brain, I did not remember that one. Yeah. And so, but is Oppenheimer near the top three for you in his filmography? Uh, no, it'd be in the middle somewhere. That uh, I like his filmography a lot. So it's just kind of like organizing a bunch of movies I love. So it's not mm-hmm. a negative thing. I I'd guess. have it in my top three as of now. Probably Oppenheimer, Interstellar, Inception, I guess. Inception's great. It's a, you don't have to guess. That's Memento. A good mm. Memento's great. Memento is so special as uh, you get to see what that dude does on a limited budget, on a small scale movie. That's what I'm when I said earlier that there's now there's filmmakers who are doing that kind of thing. He Christopher Nolan gets millions a lot to make his movies. Yeah. Um at the risk of sounding stereotypical, I think that The Dark Knight is an easy number one in his filmography. It seems to me almost miles ahead of everything else that he's made. And not just as like a uh, superhero thing. It's just a really well-crafted, it is, exciting yeah. movie. And and you get that performance in it that's it's, a special performance. Yeah. yeah. The Heath Ledger character is, his character is, is quite astonishing. I just, I have too much superhero fatigue. I don't care. Yeah, but you have to allow the Dark Knight. I would argue all three of his Batman movies, but certainly the second two and of 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 all of them, the Dark Knight, to exist in a almost like Watchmen in a world outside yeah. of superhero films. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they and Watchmen stand unique to the rest of the superhero landscape. But my, I think my problem is that talk to me again in five to ten years about what my favorite Batman films are, it's absolutely those. Well, sure. But I'll be, I just, I there'll just, be 10 more in 10 years. I'm just years, not so. interested. I know. That's the problem is, is we, yeah. we've got, we're just got too much Batman. Let me have a break from the Batman so that I can 
I can come back to enjoying Batman again. You're probably and not going to have a break. If from I'm going to sit down and watch Batman, I'm choosing the Nolan Batmans. Sure. But the, they keep forcing me to watch Batman, so I'm just. I'm never going to return to any other Batmans. Yeah, but you see, even if you're somebody like uh, Patrick's the easiest extreme example that really, really enjoys as a genre of film superhero movies, like uh, the way that, I don't know, like you you have to appreciate something specific about them to enjoy them that way, like me and kaiju movies or something like that. Like maybe other people will sit down and be like, yeah, it's fun, a big monster, but like I really like those movies. So Patrick's like that with superhero movies. Um, and I think that you correct me if I'm wrong would probably agree that some of your favorite superhero movies, they're the best in the genre, but then when you lift them out into the world of wide cinema, they don't really hold up yeah. the same way. Absolutely. Something like, uh, X-Men days of future past. Mm. What a great superhero movie. So, and the best X-Men movie easily. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but as soon as you like start to compare it to other great feats of filmmaking, you're like, well, no, it's not the same right. as that. But and the ones that in the superhero genre that rise to the top are like the Dark Knight and Watchmen that well, have those done two, something yeah, first or done something different. In, in the filmography of great filmmakers. Right. And then you a, get like... And that's impressive. As a Batman movie. Yeah. It's yeah. like a, yeah. just a great feat of filmmaking. Just people... And if they do something totally different, like Deadpool or something, turns into just like a comedy that can exist on its own, you know? Yeah, it has to be something It has to be something very outside of the... Yeah, true. But in my mind, I would rather not associate Nolan with superhero films. That's fine. Because there's... In one sense, the a world lot. seems like it kind of... Or at least... I Christopher Nolan's poor thing is um, in light of the strikes and everything, he's going around promoting the movie on YouTube like common actor. You know, he's in the Wired autocomplete interviews and the GQ eat a funny snack videos mm-hmm. and crap mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah. I know he must be hating every second of because it. Because he's as big a name as the actors. Right. Yeah. But he's being a wonderful sport about it. And it, it's they're hilarious to watch just because you can tell. Right. I don't want to here. But force him to watch Barbie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. And at one point, they asked him if he would make a uh, a Marvel movie. It was like he had he could say yes, no, or pass, and he only had a limited amount of passes and rapid fire questions. This, this, and this. Would you make a Marvel movie? He said no. And they said, Would you make a Star Wars movie? And he said, Pass. Uh, and for a second, I'd be like, Oh man, that'd be weird to see Christopher Nolan make a superhero movie. And I'm like, Well, he did. Yeah, he dude. did. He made yeah. the best one. He made the best. I mean, one. three of them. Because it stands alone as like, well, I didn't forget that about the Dark Knight. I just for, I don't think of it in the world of even, and I like the early Marvel movies, but I didn't think of it as it existing in that same universe. Yeah, and no, the Prestige. It doesn't. It I doesn't. also agree yeah. that Prestige would be in my top three, and Oppenheimer would be somewhere near the bottom, where Dunkirk is like Rocky Five level at the bottom of the. I need to watch Dunkirk pipe. again. Was it really that bad? I remember it being quite bad. Yeah. I've, I've rewatched it. It's growing on me more. Hmm. How many times do you have to watch it to get it? I don't know. I've only watched it twice. Oh. <laughs> he said it grew on him more, though. It didn't okay. completely turn around <laughs> his experience. I didn't hate it the first time. I liked it more the second time, but I still think it's an odd war film. But Oppenheimer, I expect to only appreciate over time. I mean, it appreciated it with me even the next day. we had. I was text, texting like Mike Jensen or something, and he was like, keep thinking about it and it's getting better the more mm. I think about like the ending and the conversations because so you good. aren't still sitting there hearing the conversations 
Uh, and then, you know, speaking of um, the very next day, almost the next day, just a short amount of time later, Abby took herself to the movie theater to see Barbie. I've never seen anyone, or I, sorry, let me rephrase that completely. I have never seen this particular person uh, <laughs> so committed to seeing a movie in the theater. She was texting friends. Who wants to go see Barbie? Few of them were biting. Oh, not really. Just like, come on, anyone. Uh, and she was about to take herself to the theater to go see Barbie. I mean, I'd go by myself. This is a person that ordinarily we can't convince to come to the movies with us for movies that she'll probably like. Yeah, as even said, I want to see that, but I can't bother to go. Yeah. <laughs> so what what compelled you? And why didn't you invite any dudes? Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. Hmm. I could have. She wore pink and everything. Yeah, I wore a pink jumpsuit, painted my nails pink. It was fun. Well, hold on a second. For the sake of our listeners at home, is this like, uh, you know, this week at the time of recording in a few days, I'm going to take my kids to see the new Ninja Turtle movie and uh, I'm excited for them. But I'm also excited. I told Abby earlier this week, I said, you weren't a little boy in the 80s. You don't understand what it's like. You, you have to go see another Ninja Turtle movie just to see what's going on. And so is there any of that with Barbie? No, I'm not like nostalgic for playing with Barbie dolls. Well, I know that it, that nostalgic for playing with Barbie dolls might be a weird way of putting it, but did Barbie mean anything to you when you were a kid? I mean, I played with them. Okay. Did you watch Life Size? Yeah, actually. Did you watch Life Size too? No. What is Life Size? Tyra Banks. It's right. Tyra Banks, who's in all intents and purposes a Barbie who comes to life full grown in every way except name. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It comes to life full grown as a I actually really walking, life talking size. doll. <laughs> she was more like a mannequin. It was more like a mannequin. Tyler says she was a doll. That's very she was different. A doll? Yeah, life, she's life size. Came to life. Yeah. Big, a mannequin is already life size. Big old I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. So, what made you want to see it so bad? I don't know. I really, from like the moment we first saw, uh, I think the first pictures was like them on the beach like a year ago or something on the set yep. i was like there has really been good. so much promotion oh for my Barbie. god yeah it's exhausting. all the behind the scenes fo- like deadpool shots free. yeah look yeah. at this leaked footage of gosling and yeah, there was a actually, teaser last year that that used the theme and imagery from 2001 wasn't that great that was awesome with the apes <laughs> yeah, and the giant isn't monolith that, isn't that it, in the movie is it the scene from 2001 with the and then instead of the black monolith, it's like the it's bo- Barbie. Barbie in a box. Yeah. In the first act. Yeah, it's in it. The first act, first scene is really funny, actually. I don't know. I just, I liked the look of it. I was curious it to see to where they were going to go with it. I have, I mean, you could make a million different Barbie movies. Or I'm curious, this is what the speculation was, at least in my house, certainly with Sarah. She's saying, she kept thinking, is this going to be like Elf? Was it like Elf? Yes. I actually thought, that exactly hmm. i was like based on the trailer there's a couple and it has buddy the elf in it it has buddy the is elf it? in it You're or is right. it more like lego movie yeah both it also has a big bad guy in it a big bad guy well ferrell's the bad guy in lego movie oh yeah and the big bad guy in barbie yeah okay i mean he's the ceo of mattel mm. that's funny because they were very involved yeah yeah it's very um self-aware of all the things and it's a little bit like elf you know they go into the real world and there's things it's that a, they it's don't a fish know. out of water it's thing. a fish out of water 
but not like that's not the whole, whole movie. It's not because some of it takes place in Barbie world. A lot of yeah, a lot of it, but not all of it. Hmm. And does oh. I'm assuming that this movie kind of just uh, embraces its own ridiculousness in terms of that it doesn't make any sense that Barbie can go from the toy world to the real world. It just like Elf, it just happens. Yeah. It's just something that happens in it's this. It's very zany similar world. to Elf. There's like a series of events, like Barbie stuff that she like has to ride on the jet ski. I don't know. You didn't have Barbies, but there was all the real things that they had. She had to drive in the camper and then to get back she had to do it in reverse mm. that's funny yeah that's funny. spoilers apparently she goes back <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a lot of like oh i had that outfit for my barbie mm. you mean in the theater uh-huh oh. <laughs> so there was there was a lot of nostalgia to it yeah i guess there was there was like actual yeah like actual but like is, this dream house looks like the, is real barbie the majority house. of the nostalgia 90s based yeah. Yeah. It's a, it seems like based on the aesthetic of the trailers that it's anchored in that kind of mm-hmm. late eighties, early nineties rollerblade roller Barbie, blade, yeah. rollerblade yeah. neon triangles Barbie. Yep. What I found uh, this, these were two, my two deterrents from Barbie is uh, one. It hates men. No, no, no. <laughs> Not yet. I haven't got there yet. No, number one, Greta Gerwig. Mm. You yeah you have a a difficult relationship with Greta yeah I've yeah. only seen Lady Bird and that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen I've seen Lady I've seen her in a lot I saw remember Frances Ha yeah no what's that? that this it's is a, a movie she when she acted in oh no yeah. I'm not, I don't know about her acting I'm talking about her as a director yeah I saw she's, Little Women hasn't directed very much she's written more than she's directed yeah but Lady Bird was a serious as Matt Hughes would say a stinky oh mm-hmm. man I love Lady Bird I love Little Women and I love I didn't see Little Women and because Greta Gerwig made it so that yeah. that put me off the trail and then Little Women's fine there's just one moment that I laughed at and then the world continues to laugh at which is very satisfying there was Bob Odekirk comes in in Lady in Lady Bird Little Women and uh, he's bird. the dad. He's the dad who hasn't been there for the first two acts of the movie or whatever. He comes in and all his daughters run up to him. He says, oh, it's good to be home with you, my little women. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Good Stop writing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great writing. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> Surely that wasn't on the Maybe page. Maybe he ad-libbed it, you know. Yeah, and he was just he thought that they'd call cut and everyone would laugh at his funny joke. But no, it made it into the movie. And the other thing is this is where I'm going to sound like Tyler is uh, obviously if you know anything, if you've been living in the world and are aware of the Barbie movie, then you're aware of its um, ideological controversy. And uh, I, Feminism. I, I don't have any issue with the ideology of the Barbie movie. Probably agree with it. Uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, I thought the, you were a huge supporter of the patriarchy. The, I mean, I like to pay. I like the way it benefits me, but the, <laughs> the outrage of going back and forth over this ridiculous movie no offense to fans of bar it's just so exhausting it's like oh my mm-hmm. god just see it or don't see it Shut this is up. where i feel like the for your personality the internet hurts your it does it absolutely because i don't read any movie news websites i have social media but didn't see anything remotely close to that just people excited to see barbie so let me tell you, a lot of headlines about Barbie outrage over the last few months. That's well, hey, a lot of people her. are seeing this movie, too. It's oh, yeah, a big, big bucks. And big didn't box they office bucks. spend more on marketing than the movie cost, I heard? That's not unusual these days. Yeah. Yeah. It paid off. It it's very lucrative. Definitely paid off. I asked like a friend uh, that saw it was first to see it. 
after I saw the word preachy floating around a lot, I said on a scale of minions to Zootopia. <laughs> how preachy. Minions having no message at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not even a comprehensible storyline. Yeah, barely any, anything any to make statement. Sense. No statement. <laughs> <laughs> to even Zootopia. If you, even if you want to find it, you can't. To Zootopia, who's holding you down <laughs> and pulling your shirt. <laughs> Do you understand this metaphor? <laughs> so, what have you, you ever heard of racism <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of minions to Zootopia? I feel like this is hard to rate because of the type of movie it is. I think that they were very self-aware and tongue-in-cheek with the preachiness, so I feel like it's a little bit different. Right, but I, it's definitely very preachy. There's like a whole, like, actual monologue about how hard it is to be a woman basically and you know what got a little choked up well the Greta says that the the heart of the film that she had to apparently fight to keep in it was when she's sitting down on a bench talking to an older woman yeah that was like the whole reason she wanted to make the film was that scene that's interesting was the gravity of that scene yeah she got weird about it she was like that's when she meets god god the mother yeah. yeah, it was like a younger woman talking to an yeah. older woman. I was confused for a second, so I was like, wait, in the movie she's God? Like, <laughs> I thought that there was like a an old lady God mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the Barbie universe, but it turns out she was just like kind of high-minded philosophizing about the scene. Yeah, um, but it just it was, it seemed to me, again, I haven't seen it, just the the very brief Twitter, I suppose. Maybe Twitter might be the only source for all my Barbie information. <laughs> but the the scene seems to be a reflection of the 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 female experience, even into your older age. And that Mattel wanted to cut the scene, and Greta Gerwig was so emphatic about that particular scene that she almost backed out of the film if they took it out. That's Burr said she barely noticed. Yeah, I barely noticed that part. It, what I remember is that she's like crying on a bench for some reason and she looks over and there's an old lady sitting there and she says you're really pretty and the lady says like i know that was it that's but the commentary the old lady says i know yeah the commentary in there is yeah that it's bigger than yeah just the youth and attraction oh that's yeah female the female value transcends it was a nice moment but it is wild to think that that's like was so meaningful it was a nice moment. Hmm. And then Ken does something funny shortly after. So Ken. That was That's a, what I keep hearing. People all, love Ken, but uh, he's, freaking he's, hilarious. he's getting he's getting Oscar buzz already. Oh. There were a lot of people making a big stink uh, when he, he was first cast for one. He's too old to play Ken. It they just doesn't make any a, sense. They kept using a screenshot where you could see wrinkles next to his yeah. eyes. Yeah. And then they were like, gross. Why can't there be someone comparable to Margot Robbie? Why is it going to be some old man? They're going against their own values. I'm <laughs> like, ah, dog, he's right here. Yeah. <laughs> Are they not similar aged? No. No, he's older. Yeah. Oh, that's surprising. She's she like a great grandfather and yeah. she's like a newborn She's younger baby. than you expect. How old? Let's, let, don't do it. No, look, okay. we're going to do it. We're going to make you guess. I'm going to guess she's my age. I'm going to guess she's 33. No. I'm going to say she's younger. She's younger how, than you. You're her mentor. How oh, old sad. is Margot Robbie? 33. Oh, how about that? How old is Ryan Gosling? 48. Oh. You. You have to answer now, Abby. 41. 42. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's not that. Oh, yeah. That's not even a significant. That's nine years. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. He was great. It, it was really funny. Sarah said that he stole the show. 
Which is ironic because it's called Barbie. Wow, yeah. Sarah clearly wasn't listening to the message. <laughs> <laughs> you never said, is it? Oh, well, because you, you said she it's said a different that, kind of preaching. She said that he he had all the best punchlines and he stole the show and he was most charismatic, but it's because, in her words, that Barbie had to play it the straight character and bring all the serious points. Yeah, he was just dumb. If, he, if yeah. there was like a definition for dumb blonde, it, it was would him. be him. Yeah, in that she was on a serious character arc yeah and uh, he was just and, dumb the whole and time he was just there dumb is funny he yeah. was just there delivering punchlines dumb, dumb is, is great man gotta have that dumb character. yeah it was good it was honestly different he, than i thought it was gonna be but funnier than i thought it was gonna be so it was good so so funnier I, than oppenheimer <laughs> yes <laughs> It was. That's where I was going for our big conclusion. Is way that better than Oppenheimer. <laughs> okay, well, you said it before. Okay. What did you think of Oppenheimer? Were you bored across its three-hour runtime, or enthralled from start to finish? Did you see Barbie? What did you think? On a scale of Minions to Zootopia, how preachy did you find it? Let us know by leaving a comment on this episode at youhatemovies.com or at any of our social media outlets, all of them at youhatemovies. But the best way to interact with youhatemovies and even contribute arguments that can fuel the show itself is to go to patreon.com slash youhatemovies where for the price of a cup of coffee every month, you can get multiple You Hate Movies episodes, including our You Hate Mailbag, in which we interact with your comments, suggestions, ideas, and they fuel more arguing about movies. <laughs>